Hey guys, this is Caleb with War Council. Justin is off this week due to uh, family-related um, matters, and so because of that, we thought instead of a normal show, we would release our first episode of Battle Brothers. Uh, Battle Brothers is a special segment of the show where we speak with someone from around the world, and we talk to them about uh, the wargaming experience in their neck of the woods. Uh, in our first segment, we spoke with Jamie uh, from the UK. He lives just outside of England. And he's actually a commissioned painter. He has his own commission service called Twitchy Droid Commissions. So be sure to check his work out at twitchydroidpainting.blogspot.com. And we hope you enjoy this episode. We thought that uh, Jamie was a really cool guy, and we'd love to talk to him again. And we certainly support his commission efforts on that side of the pond. So in lieu of a normal episode this week, please enjoy this special episode of Battle Brothers. And as always, put your minis where your mouth is. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, we have a special segment of the show today we're going to introduce. Um, this new segment we're calling Battle Brothers, and it's kind of an exploration of the world of wargaming uh, all across the world, just in different parts of the globe, um, places that we're not familiar with, places that we will never have a chance to visit. Um, we realize that 40K has grown uh, since it started out 20-some-odd uh, years ago, and it's become a global phenomenon now. And, and we're just kind of curious about what the wargaming community is like in other parts of the world. We want to sort of touch base with our, all of our, our, our players and friends across the world and find out what their play experience is like. So the first guest on our show today is uh, joining us from the United Kingdom. Uh, his name is Gorman, and he runs a, uh, a painting service called Twitchy Droid Painting. Uh, Gorman, why don't you say hi to everybody? Hi there. So, um, Gorman, uh, I met you uh, online maybe a couple months ago through your painting yeah. service. I was looking to outsource a, a miniature, and that's kind of how I discovered Twitchy Droid. Um, yeah. Do you want to tell me a little bit about how you got into the hobby and how you started, I guess, into the into the world of painting specifically? Yeah, sure. Well, basically, I've, I've been into the hobby for, um, well, I must be looking at nearly, well, two decades, something like that now. Okay, yeah, uh, so a veteran. Yeah, well, definitely. Since that sort of, you know, uh, my very early teens, I was into into the hobby. Um, you know, basically from there, there's been times where I've lost contact with it, and I've I've not done it for a few years. But you always come back to Warhammer, don't you? Really? Did you get um, through Warhammer or through 40k or through one of the the smaller games like Necromunda or? Well, it was actually through Space Hulk. Okay. Because <laughs> it's so it's so similar to Aliens. Um, but yeah, so through Space Hulk, and then on through there, you know, I remember sort of painting those figures up very badly with, um, <laughs> you know, enamel paints when I was much younger. Um, oh, God, yeah. And enamel. then through there, you know, kind of, I've built probably hundreds of armies over the time I've been doing it, and, and really I'm more of a painter and converter than I am a, um, a, a gamer. Um, and I guess really just naturally, just over the years, and I've only been running the service probably about two years now, I started um, Twitchy Droid Painting uh, blogspot.co.uk and uh, that was just a kind of a, a just a, a, an outlet for me to sort of offer services online and sort of try and get decently priced um, armies and, uh, and projects out to people. So, so yeah, really. Yeah, I think decently priced is absolutely a really good way to put it. Um, one of the reasons I approach any subcontractor to sort of try out a new service is just because of their price, and your price was yeah. very enticing. Like, I, I sent you this giant Angron miniature. He's probably 
six inches tall. So he's massive, even for a monstrous creature. And yeah. um, you banged him out in just a couple of weeks with incredible highlighting and detail. And I thought for a very fair price. Um, That's good. You know, it was it was absolutely wonderful working with you. And I've had some bad experiences working with other painters before. Um, but yeah. I, I, I absolutely loved the work you did on him. And he came in, in really quick. He came in top shape. And so I definitely can't right. recommend your service enough. Um, the only problems I ran into is just when you deal with, someone like me where I like to build my own models and send them overseas, there's import taxes. So that was kind of a, yeah. uh, but that's, you worked with me to sort of explain that. And, and so, you know, we sort of pushed through that. Yeah. So you were in the yeah. hobby for about 18 years before you started twitchy droid. Were you always mostly a painter? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always, you know, I guess when you look back to the really old issues of white dwarf and heavy metal and, you know, they used to have these phenomenal, images that you would really aspire to mm-hmm. and I always sort of I tried to do that but I guess it's big, as I've gotten a bit older you kind of want to dictate more time to individual models and you want to learn two new techniques and so you know that's really where the painting side of things came from I definitely used to probably game a lot more when I was younger but I guess as you get older you do have less time don't you for that and it's a bit easier to pick up the paint in the evening after a long day's work um, and get a couple of hours of painting rather than necessarily play a game but no i do still game a lot as well though so that's to cool. me what, what what armies what, what what are your armies that you run in 40k well justin that is a question um way too many armies unfortunately um <laughs> at the moment i think i'll be completely honest i've got gray knights army um paladins and terminators i've got raven wing pure raven wing army that i've just literally just finished i'm probably going to be posting pictures of that soon um, I've got an old Tyranid army. My my favourite army, probably of all time, um, has been one that I've been building up for absolutely years. It's um, a Raptors chapter um, army. So it's, you know, um, in the camo green scheme, green army. Um, and uh, I keep always going back to Marines for some reason. I've got this obsession at the moment that I want to start another Iron Hands army. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> so what is it that draws you to Space Marines specifically? Because I, I feel like, for me... I like doing a chapter of Marines, but then afterwards I kind of need a break. I want to do like a Xenos chapter. Yeah. Um, it's just too much power armor for me. What What is it is about Marines that draws you in? You know, I just think they're really iconic. It's such a sort of, um, and, and the plastic kits now, I know it's gotten better over the years. I know that as well, but they're really adaptable and you can, you can, you know, you can buy a tactical squad box and, and, you know, five different painters or converters will come out of it with a completely different experience, the way they want to build the models, etc. And I think really with Space Marines, there is mu- there's much more, um, there are much more options available than there are with other armies. Um, you take something like the Tau Firewire box set, you know, that's a really nice kit, but it's not got the same level of adaptability that, say, Space Marines have got. I guess you've probably also got that with Imperial Guard, which is another one of my armies. I've got a Savalite Chemdogs army. Yeah, um, I would probably say that the big armies like those, I would say the good guys, for lack of a better word. That's um, right, yeah. They, they get a lot more love and support in terms of kits. Because there's some kits, like, in, you know, we're talking about Tyranids, for example, where the there are options in the codex that aren't even represented in the kit years later. That are That's just, right, yeah. um, Which is good for me because it gives me something to do. Um, yeah. But I can definitely see why a lot of people, you know, want to do like a marine army where you've got every kit has really everything. I mean, it's got it does, at least yeah. one of everything. That's right, Kay. But even you take, for example, I find this quite disappointing in a lot of ways, but when they released the Winged Hive Tyrant model, um, I made one of those, and again, I did an army um, 
the earlier part of this year for, for someone and via my, my website, 2000 Point Army, but lots of those big monstrous creatures, they've got options in the kit. They can only actually be built in a specific way. So you've literally got Hive Tyrant with the wings in the same pose. If you want two of those models, unless you're going to start breaking up you know, the scalpel and actually going into some quite detailed conversion work, you've basically got the same model. With the Marines, there is not necessarily that same degree of, of you know of rigidity, really. So, so yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so you've got all these different armies, but you say that you don't play as much as you hop. No. Do you, are you mostly, do you just build these armies and they kind of like set on your shelf, or do you build them for the joy of building them and you sell them off and move on to the next project? Like, what's your, what's your go-to yeah. there? combination of both, really. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I started doing the commission service, because it allowed me to be building up the new kit, the newest kits, because whenever a new kit comes out, I nearly always get an email about how much to paint this or that for me. You know, for example, the Centurions came out, um, and it allowed me to, um, to to buy that kit and make those models and then not necessarily need to build an army around them. But when I make an army for myself, it quite often gets built. I'll play it for a few games, um, I'm, you know, and then it might end up being put into the, you know, into the storage case for a little while or... I do come back to armies as well. Sometimes I'll sell them off, but you know, I guess when you put so many hours into an army, it's kind of difficult, isn't it, to really sort of sell it off sometimes. So yeah, that's the that's the difficulty. And Justin actually just had a part with one of his armies the other day, so we were kind of talking yeah. about that. Um, just the fact that you get attached to your army after a while, because yeah. like you said, you you build your army to your own individual taste. So no one else is going to ever really, I feel like, appreciate it the way you do. That's um, right. Yeah. Um, but when you branch into commission services, like a lot of times people, you know, you have to sort of, I feel like, detach yourself from your work a little bit because right. the reality is I can build an army I like a lot. But that doesn't necessarily mean someone's going to pay for it what I would have paid for it. That's right. Exactly. Um, like a classic car or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Justin. Do you have a, here's the my one of my loaded questions. Do you have a model uh Space Marine model or, or other that you particularly enjoy painting or working with, or even just like the looks of? You know, I, I think the, probably the kit that I like most of all um, is um, the Grey Knight Terminator kit, which I just think is amazing. That plastic kit when it came out, I'm, I was a bit blown away by it, to be honest. And that, though I think that's probably the only that I would definitely not sell, um, no matter what, unless I absolutely needed to. Um, because they are such lovely models, and you know you can really, really make those shine. You know, um, yeah. it's a lot to do them, but they are—they're just, you know, really detailed, aren't they? So that's that's my my favorite. Um, I, I actually I actually used before the Deathwing Knights came out uh, for the Dark Angels. I actually used the Grey Knight Terminator box as my Deathwing command squad. Yeah, that's a good idea because that you know they're they're so dynamic, aren't they? For sort of Terminator models, kind of big stocky figures, but they're actually they, they, and again to just go back to the point about posability and options, you've got so much in that kit, really. Yeah, absolutely. Right. right. Some of the newer kits, when they started adding the dual kits options, which I think is great that they have this mutability where you can do one or two different builds in a kit. But a lot of times, yeah. those wrists and those arms only go on a certain way, so you lose a little bit in yes. terms of flexibility. Um, that really hasn't sustained itself in, in every line, though, because, for, for example, the Marine models have, you know, it's a very basic pose where they have these ball and socket joints, and then you can really bend those arms any way you like, so yeah. in a lot of ways you have more more flexibility with a Marine kit than, say, an Eldar kit. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, that's really cool. 
I mean, I think just to build on that point, when the Dark Eldar came out, I've never built and painted a Dark Eldar army, but I've seen plenty of them and played against them and so on. Um, and quite a lot of those, for example, options where it, it's, um, you know, kind of only you could build the arms in a particular way, they are to go on a particular body, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, disappointed in a way, but there you go. They're also extremely fragile. Like cleaning those guys is a real pain. Yeah. <laughs> like the, yeah. the, the thinner the thinner the plastic, the more difficult it is to clean with like a Naya for a file or that sort of thing. Yeah. Try try, try fantasy models. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> um, all right. So Jamie, what we'd like to know a little bit about is what you know, since you are literally at the back door of of Games Workshop, you know, you were sure. sitting there at their at their at their I guess at their you know, front entrance. Um, what is your gaming experience like over there? Like, how do you guys feel about 40k? I, I guess I'd like to know how how you know if you're in Tennessee and you're a musician, there's a certain I would say feel in the air. Like the the city yeah. just brims with this sort of musical energy where everyone there has a dream and everyone there wants to be a star. So, you know, in the wargaming community when you're in England, it kind of feels like sort of like the pilgrimage that we would all take. Like eventually we would yeah. go there and and sort of visit. So, what's the wargaming community like there? Is it, you know, it's an older community I would imagine. So, can you kind of walk yeah. us through a typical day if you have a game with a friend, like how does that go? Yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, a lot of games are still played at the Games Workshop stores because, I mean, I know it's probably very different to America in that here... Um, Ours are more like retail boutiques. They're kind of small, and yeah. oftentimes they're not well-supported. Um, I mean, ours, ours are pretty small still, um, but the, because everything in the UK is kind of condensed a bit more in terms of um, travel arrangements and so on, I mean, the nearest Games Workshop to me is probably about a 15-minute drive, so it's not too bad at all. Um, and they pretty much Games Workshop has a, a shop in, in almost every town or city, I would say. Um, they're quite quite sort of spread around the country. So a lot of games are still played there. Um, there's also um, local gaming clubs that you can attend. And where I am, I think I haven't been to one in a few months, but there are about three local gaming clubs nearby. So um, they normally run sort of, I think one of them runs twice a month, the other one runs monthly. I think there's one actually nearby that runs weekly even. So you've got lots of options there. Um, generally quite friendly crowds, quite large groups. And a lot of them, um, they kind of run kind of almost like dropping games. So it's not necessary to make arrangements to book a table or anything like that. Um, but most games, I'd say for me, in terms of my playing, tend to be based around um, sort of friendship group. Um, and it will normally be played at people's houses, you know, kind of an informal thing. Yeah. I guess because I'm... I'm getting a bit older now as well. You know, it's quite nice to sort of kick back, have a couple of beers or whatever, and sort of play a friendly sure. game against someone. But that said, equally, I think I'm why I've probably moved away from using the stores and and so on is that um, you know I, I do like to play by the rules and like to have a proper game of Warhammer. You know, so when you say play by the rules, do you mean like do do some of the houses you're at like have a house rule, or is it more like what do you mean? Not, not, what do you mean not by the so rules? Much. It tends to be more that if you're attending a Games Workshop event or you're attending a Games Workshop... Um, uh, a event or something? Well, not so much that, but if you're attending like the Games Workshop store, say they, they have like perhaps one or two evenings a night a week where they'll, they'll run um, game nights. Um, sometimes they'll do things like, you know, uh, imbalanced armies. Someone, you know, they'll play with whatever they, they turn up with or some of the younger opponents won't understand the rules and even games workshop staff here i don't know if it's the same way you guys are but they sometimes don't actually understand the rules too well 
um, and they kind of just fudge it. You know, they fudge it because for them, I guess it's all about sort of selling the product. So they fudge it to make sure that everyone's having a good time, which is really good anyway, I guess. But equally, if you only play once a month or something like that, it's quite nice to actually apply the rules properly and have a proper sort of mature game so you know well there's also you want to play with someone kind of on your level i feel like yeah like i i definitely like that games workshop is very big about supporting the hobby with new players they're they're smart enough to realize that they need to bring new players in at a young age to sort of hook them uh much like you know a crank dealer and and that's fine but that being said like i don't I don't, I don't mind playing with a young player because I feel like it's part of my duty as a mentor to sort of teach the new generation how to play. But yeah. I don't get the same experience out of that I get out of playing like a 20-year veteran because it's yeah, just, exactly. yeah. we're just on different levels of playing. You know, they're, exactly. they're playing to win and the, the veteran is more like, look, I've been playing for 20 years, now I just want to have fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think also that if you, um, it can kind of, um, impact on your performance as a player. I mean, I'm quite competitive. I wouldn't say I'm massively competitive, but if if I don't know my opponent's codex and yet they know their own rules really well, then you can kind of just trust them and everyone gets along fine. Whereas if you're dealing with someone who doesn't understand their own codex, sure. doesn't really understand the rules, it can kind of be difficult. And that that's probably why I've moved away from the stores because in the stores it tends to be, well, that's okay, you know. Um, just play any way you want as long as you're spending money. Um, whereas, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's kind of the attitude, isn't it? So now with so, the stores yeah. being so prevalent there, like one in every town, is it more, uh, more well known there? Like, and what I mean by well known is like, if I went into a supermarket and asked up, went up to a random woman and said, Hey, does your son play 40 K? She would kind of sort of look at me like I'm crazy, but is it more common over there? Is it kind of like, Oh, everybody knows what that is because it's, on yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people do. Um, I think um, it's it's probably not. I wouldn't say it's commonly known, but it's pretty well known. Um, I think a lot of people probably still think Games Workshop sells computer games, or you know, sure, sure. whether it might be. But you know, they're um, it's pretty well known here. Yeah, it's pretty popular. Um, uh, I have my maybe it's painfully obvious or painfully painfully silly, but uh, I, have you been to Warhammer World? I have, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny actually because Caleb said about it being on my back door. Um, it's uh, on my doorstep, but it's actually quite a long way from London. It's kind of um, Nottingham. Well, for us in the UK, it's a long way. It's probably about a four-hour drive. So, so. For, for me, yeah, I just kind of think of all of That's like I, I'm, I'm an ignorant American, <laughs> but I'm just like all of England is one island, and I kind of think of yeah. it like a state where it's just like oh, yeah. it's just, everything's two hours away. You know, the beach yeah. is two hours away, the mountain's two hours away, <laughs> which is very naive. And I know Justin will laugh because he's a historian. So, you yeah. know, um, yeah, see, there you are. So <laughs> how, how far for the ignorant of us, which is me, how far is Nottingham from, let's say, uh, I don't know, London? I'd probably say it's probably about three, four hours drive. Three or four um, hours drive? I've okay. been up there. Yeah, I've been up there a few times. I've, Played in um, Throne of Skulls, which was which was pretty good, um, and you know it, it was definitely an experience. It really was good to go up there. Um, is Throne you, of Skulls, and I guess I don't really remember that one. Is that kind of like a, a hard hitting, like you know, bring what you got tournament? Or yeah, that's a. So it's, here we run sort of fifteen hundred points is our normal sort of points limit, which I think is a bit lower than than you guys in America. I think um, our go-to is eighteen fifty these days. That seems yeah. to be the go-to point. Yeah, yeah, yeah thereabouts. Points tournament, and basically it was run over a weekend. And they run it. I think they're running. It, it's either sort of two, three, or four times a year um, in the Warhammer world. And 
basically, um, yeah, it's a pretty well attended tournament. Uh, and that's why I've been there to, for that purpose. I mean, that's probably a bit more competitive than. Do you ever see I, any of the like the designers of the games there, like at the like at the at the things walking around, like glad handing people and sort of, you know, um, I, I guess do you ever see people like Jervis or Phil Kelly kind of walking around, like hey, you know, that sort of thing, or is it no, more like the CEO of Disney, where like you hear about them but they're never around? Yeah, that was basically it. Yeah, yeah the last yeah. I mean, it, it's um, I think I met Duncan Rhodes up there, who, mm-hmm. who does game, he, he's White Dwarf, etc. Sure. Um, and I certainly he told me about um, the others that are there in terms of the, the personalities. But I think really on that subject, they've basically tried to make Games Workshop's corporate image has tried to make those people a bit like rock stars now because you can pay, <laughs> you can pay to go up to Warhammer World now. They 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 have events where you specifically go to meet Jervis Johnson, whoever it may be, oh, which is you know. Kind of a bit strange. I don't think I'd pay for that personally, but yeah. there you go. Yeah, no. That's interesting. I think we all know his views from Standard Bear, don't we? And that's, it's um... so funny because, like, I, I kind of feel like he's the, the, not the Bill Gates, what was that move? Steve Jobs. I feel like he's kind of the Steve Jobs of 40K, or of, yeah. of Warhammer, in that he's kind of more infamous than famous. Like, yeah, everyone, everyone I hear has a really negative story. But I'm like, he's got to be pretty smart. I mean, he, you know, he's built yeah. the hobby into something very big, so... Yeah, I don't think he's bad at what he does. I just think maybe no. he's just misunderstood or something like. Yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think the thing is again, maybe it's because he's um, going off on a tangent now, but probably because he's a bit older. Um, oh, the sure. way he plays and so on, and the way he always talks about it in White Dwarf is kind of, I think, just different. I mean, he, I don't, you know, he doesn't clearly doesn't play it for a competitive angle. Sure. Um, right. So, you know, more yeah. narrative. So, do you do any? Um, do you do anything else connected to uh, Warhammer 40K? I mean, for example, uh, I, I'm in or a Death Watch or, or Warhammer Fantasy. Um, those, really. I, I'm part of a, for example, I'm part of a, a Death Watch uh, RPG group. So do you do anything yeah. like that? No, to be honest. I mean, I'm a massive, um, huge Dan Abnett fan. Um, yeah. So definitely into the kind of Black Library side of things, although that can be a bit of a mixed bag. Um, and video gaming as well. Um, you know, obviously the Games Workshop have had some pretty pretty good sort of um, PlayStation games. That Space Marine I thought was really good. That was a good experience. Um, how and, and how did uh, you like the new edition of Space Hawk when it came out? Since you got into the original yeah. edition, uh, I can probably say, Caleb, I've probably played it about twice, but I enjoyed both times I played it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know they yeah. just released it on Steam, so you can play it on your your your, your PC now. Yeah, oh, really? Okay, I didn't yeah, know it's that. The, it's the exact same rules, and it kind of plays like, uh, I don't know, kind of like a World of Warcraft or something like that. It's, or it's, more, it's like top... a, more like XCOM Enemy Unknown. Really? There you go. Yeah. I think I'll download that. I'll definitely go and, go and search it. Mean, it's not that. expensive. It's only like 20 bucks. I, I don't play it because I, I just like the, the board game experience. But the, yeah. the game was, was out for such a short period, and now it's so ridiculously expensive on ebay that yeah you know it's like they go for I, didn't really get that. Set. I think it's just because of the rarity because they only released like whatever five thousand copies and yeah. they just never went back and re-released it which i never yeah. got because it was crazy popular then you, then you get these guys they'll come along and let's say oh this is going to be like this is like a one or two time run on this so i'm gonna i'm gonna buy up a bunch of copies and then i'm gonna turn around and you know i'm gonna you know, jack up the prices on eBay yeah. because everybody will pay for it. 
you know, so for people like me who wanted to buy it just to play it and not to collect it, uh, you know, people like me who, who wanted it for that reason are, you know, kind of out of luck. And then when you go looking yeah. for it, it's like, I don't think I want to pay that much for that, you know. Sure. No, I, mean, I can't see how, I don't know how they really kind of made, how that made them any extra money by releasing it in a limited run, because surely to set the moulds up, and to set the printing up must have cost, I don't know, thousands, because it's such a, it's a really good quality game. To me, it just seems a bit strange, because, as, you know, as you say, Justin, people really wanted it, and it's kind of sad, really, that they couldn't get hold of a copy. But, you know, right. there you go. I really liked the Broodlord from that set, and he really beat the crap out of the new, the old Broodlord. He's just a much more dynamic figure. Yeah. I kind of felt like if they had just released him in a blister, they would have just... That would have just gone through the roof. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of my life's work is going to be once I've finished painting. I've been telling myself for years. Once I finish painting my backlog of forty k miniatures, I'm then going to, be, um, you know, hopefully move on to finishing off my my Space Hulk set. I've probably got about three or four miniatures from it painted, but they are so nice that you you can't rush them. You know, they are. Yeah, they are very beautiful. Amazing. So you like to read the Black Library stuff? Yeah. Um, do you, and you're big Dan Abnett fan, I, and I am too. I, I love, you know, the Gosco yeah. series and, you know, a lot of the stuff he's written for Horace Heresy, um, especially, uh, what was it, Prospero Burns was a really good one. Um, but do you have a favorite series uh, that you're into for, you know, Black Library novels? Uh, well, I, I probably actually prefer Dan Abnett's um, sort of in, Inquisitor series. Um, I think it was Prior and Ravener, um, I can't remember the other names of those books, but that series I preferred because those books really, I think, gave a really good impression of um, the way that the 40,000 universe was outside of Space Marines and, you know, Chaos Space Marines and that kind of thing, which really gave some some real breath to the universe. And I guess really, I mean, Justin, you probably, from playing the role-playing game side of things with Death Watch, you probably get elements of that in, in RPG as well. Yes. The board game and the way the background is now, you know, for the general uh, 40k um, background material, you don't really have that kind of depth to it, really. So I think that, that's what I really liked. The Horace Heresy thing, things are really good as well, but I think they're a bit of a mixed bag because some of the some of the authors I think have not done as good with the material as they could have done. To put it in that way, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely some novels out there you could probably skip and not. Yeah lose anything yeah i mean the first i think the first probably about 10 that came out were kind of really avidly read and tracked down and so on but then i've gotten to the stage now where um if it's not dan abner or and it's not aaron i always pronounce his name wrong but debensky bowden is that right yeah I think that's close, close enough yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's not one of those two i probably won't chase it down do because... you give new authors a shot or do you just sort of have your two you stick to um, yeah, I definitely do give new authors a shot as well. I mean, there was, um, I don't know if he was actually new or he was new to me, but um, I don't know if you guys read the um, the um, Black Dragons book, um, The Death of Antagonist, I think it was pronounced. Yeah. Which yeah, was by David and Annadale. Um, that was a brilliant book. I really liked that. Actually, I actually posted something about that on my blog because I was really impressed with it. Um, but I guess it depends on the subject matter, doesn't it? Because, I mean, Black Dragons as a, as a Space Marine chapter, I've been sort of really fascinated with for a long time. Those really the ones, to... they, um, they, had, um, they weren't really a major chapter. They were kind of like a mutated chapter, weren't they? They had signs right. and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And that, yeah. Was, that was a cool chapter because that was back when they were sort of actively talking about how to convert that sort of stuff 
it, yeah. it released some really tentative rules for them in a in a chapter uh, tactic book, and right. then they kind of just dropped off the face of the earth. Um, yeah, I remember when they when they I think when fifth edition came out and. Um, there was something on the website before they overhauled the Games Workshop website saying that there was going to be new rules released shortly for the cursed founding chapters yeah. like the Black Dragons, and it just never happened, which is a shame because they are a, a marine chapter that's you know pretty different to, to the norm. Yeah, sort of. I've always been fascinated with the cursed foundings. I think they're really neat. I'd like to see more yeah. of them. You know, Definitely. like not just the Wolfen, but like other chapters like the Black Dragons and, and the Lamenters yeah. and yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah, definitely. I mean, I've converted. Um, Probably a handful of Black Dragon Marines, and it's it's that that's actually a really good project because you can do something different, and you know they've got the horns coming out of the head or the blades on their arms, etc., which is quite a nice project. But it would be my third Black Space Marine chapter, Iron Hands and Ravenwing. So I kind of can't I can't bring myself to do it, you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, just out of curiosity, um, how often do you actually get in a game, and if do you? Do you have like an army you generally play for gaming versus gaming for like hobby? Like, for example, you mentioned your Grey Knight army. Is that kind yeah. of your go-to? Like, if I'm playing, this is what I'm playing. Or is it more like you just sort of alternate, whatever it is? Um, I do. I sort of alternate. I mean, it's really kind of a bit random. Some some you know months I might play you know three four times. I probably say on average probably once a month something like that. Um, just depends on work commitments and so on. Um, but my, my probably the army that I play with most is probably my Raptors army because it's pretty versatile and I've been able to update that to 6th edition quite easily. Um, were they a part but, of the... They had a release the other day where they released some chapter tactics for a few armies. Were they a part of that release? Um, yeah, they, they, they were, but I'm not probably going to use those chapter tactics. I'm just going to go with Raven Guard. But, um, okay. but yeah, the, the other army I play with a lot, which actually does have rules that's just been released, is um, I've got a Car Sheridan's Astra I just recently found out about them. They're kind of like a, uh, I don't want to say sharks, but kind of like a shark. That's right, yeah. They've had their rules updated. Those rules are really good, actually. It's quite good that Forgewell did that, I think, sort of released those and updated them. So are they kind of like a unique chapter there, like the the way the the Minotaurs are? Yeah, basically, um, there's the special character, which is an absolutely awesome model, um, Tiberius, um, the Red Wake. Uh, you've probably seen him on the Forgeware website with the two uh, lightning claw kind of chain fist combo things he's got in Terminator armor. Um, and that was a project I did um, mostly last year where um, you can actually swap out you can swap out your bolt gun for a bolt pistol. So you can have a tactical squad, which is kind of semi-assaulty. Um, and they had the Rage special rule. Of course, under 5th edition, that was actually a bit of a hindrance, but now under 6th, it's actually quite good. Um, and, yeah. you know, so, but that, that army was a, a good one because they've got kind of tribal markings, and you could, I've got Forge Wall Deckles, a little bit of freehand as well, and you can really go to town on the Marines in terms of personalising them. So, awesome. so yeah, I play with those quite a lot as well. Um, do you ever play any of the specialist games, or just... Warhammer? Do you? Oh, well, I guess Warhammer is a good example. Do you play Warhammer at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I historically used to play Warhammer because I used to play both when I was much, much younger, mm-hmm. sort of teenage years. But then um, I've not really done that. To be honest with you, the thing that has attracted me to Warhammer has probably been the plastic kits, just buying those, and using those for conversions. Sure. I mean, some of some of the, for example, um, I, perhaps not so much now, but a couple of years ago, some of the cavalry models and things that were coming out were. I thought really useful for Rough Riders, for Imperial Guard. 
Um, and they're quite cheap, actually. They're, there's quite a price difference. There certainly was at the time, it appeared to me, between um, uh, sort of 40K models and, and also Warhammer. But tends to just be for conversion, really, rather than actually playing with them. I haven't actually collected a Warhammer army or bought the rulebook in quite a few years. So, so yeah. And in terms of specialist games, I probably would say that in the UK, there's not a tremendous amount of support for them. As I say, a lot of gaming going on in, in the stores. Um, stores kind of don't have any support for them at all now, and they've pretty much been moved. And even you know, like official GW stores, yeah, they don't really have any support for them what at about, all. What uh, about Blood Bowl? Out of curiosity, um, Blood Bowl is a game that I used to play loads when I was much younger, but again, you've got no support basically. Um, yeah, I would kind of see that more of a as an American thing because the reality is, isn't I mean, so what you guys refer, you know, our soccer, your football, yeah, and, and we have our football, which. I guess is what you would call American football. Blood Bowl is basically American football. Yeah. So wouldn't it have made more sense for them to have released Blood Bowl as kind of like soccer, I guess? Wouldn't that have been... Yeah, that's true. Um, that's so or, nice. or was it a product just aimed at Americans? Like, aha, the silly Americans will buy this. They love football. <laughs> you know, and, I don't know. Because that was one of their first games, I think. I don't know. What, I can't remember the release date, but that must have been some point in the yeah, I think it was a long time ago. Sort of mid to late 80s, um, and maybe a bit later than that. Um, and I don't know, yeah, I don't know at that time, to be honest, Caleb, whether they had any footprint in America. I mean, how long has uh, Games Workshop been around in America for you guys? Has it been there for a long time, or has it been sort of, you know, just breaking through? It's uh, a couple decades. Yeah, that's, that's Yeah, it's quite a while then, okay. But, I mean, you know, the stores have really grown, and a lot of the stores, I'll see stores close down quite often. Like they, yeah. you know, because that's you know, they that's all they sell is the Games Workshop product. So I feel like as a from a retailer point of view, I understand why they do it, but it's it's hardly an Apple store. It's like yeah. you know, everyone needs an iPod. Well, they don't need an iPod, but everyone wants an iPod or an iPhone. Yeah. Um, but not everybody needs like you know a kit of Terminators. Like it's just so I, I see a lot of those stores go under because they just don't have the community. Um, yeah. I, I think that's the problem. I think you know, Games Workshop, as I say going back to this thing about the image of the personalities and so on, they're definitely trying to build that up, and they're trying to really model themselves, aren't they, on a kind of an Apple-type um, principle, but, you know, as you say, you know, model kits are a luxury, aren't they, you know, at the end yeah, of the day? Yeah, they're, they're very much a disposable income kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, nice. Well, Justin, do you have anything else for Jamie today? You'd like to sort of... While we have someone who literally is over there at their doorstep, I think I think I managed to torment the gentleman enough. All right, cool. <laughs> um, well, uh, Jamie, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. And yeah. um, once once again, you know, for people who are over in the UK and, and also here in America, Jamie is currently accepting commissions. I believe you're still accepting commissions. Yeah, that's right, definitely. And um, you know, Twitchy Droid. One of the reasons that drew me to it was just that your prices were extremely reasonable. You were very friendly. You sent me very regular updates. Um, you know, you posted update pics on your blog as you sort of developed it, and you were yeah. very easy to work with. So I certainly can't recommend your service enough. Um, and I definitely right. hope you know more business comes your way. And uh, we definitely appreciate you talking with us on the podcast today a little bit about the experience in in, in England, or not in England, but <laughs> in the UK. Yeah. It's all uh, great stuff. All right. Well, Jamie, we'll definitely have you back on the podcast at some time again. And yeah, keep really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, um, if I have any more models to send your way, I'll definitely give you a holler. Excellent. That'd be great. Great. Nice to talk. All right. 
Absolutely. Good talking to you, Jamie. Take care, guys. Or, Bye-bye. Yeah. I keep saying Jamie. Yeah, don't worry about that. Jamie. That's all right. Don't worry. That's fine. All right. Cheers, Caleb. Thanks, Justin. Right. See you. Cheers. Bye-bye. I love I love saying cheers. <laughs> I just think works. cheers is such a fun word. It works. So for for people who are are were listening, I, I started calling him Jamie because when I met him through his site, he was he introduced himself as Jamie. But Gorman apparently is what he goes through um, uh, as a handle on on the internet. So you probably have heard him as Gordon on forums, I guess. Um, I always think that's weird because I just go by my name on the forums. I, I don't have a different handle for, for when I'm online. I, I actually do have one. What is your uh, handle? Atreides825. Okay. What is Atreides from? You've never read Frank Herbert's Dune? No. That's like you a haven't... billion page book or something like that. You've never even seen the movie? I saw the movie like 10 years ago, but I was bored to tears by that movie. <laughs> like, well, it depends. It depends on which one you watch. It, yeah. There's the sci-fi John Luke Picard. I saw that one. Oh, um, yeah, that one's not a very good and faithful adaptation of the novel. Uh, the novel's like a million pages long. Like, a, no, not it's not that bad. Right. Uh, I mean, they they get the the problem with the novels is they get a little too philosophical in places. Um, okay. But Atreides is the it was the name of one of the noble houses in. Uh, in the Dune series, and I was a big fan of Leto Atreides, who was the main character's father. I don't care for the main character, but so I thought it'd be kind of cool, you know, that would I would take Atreides as my screen. Do name. people ever contact you and recognize that for what it is? Are they you know, just like, hey man, cool name? One or two people have said, oh, you're a Dune fan too, but most people don't get the reference, and that that's okay. It doesn't yeah. bother me. That's cool. You know, but but it is it is nice to to know when somebody says, "Oh yeah, you're a fellow Dune fan." Yep, that's that's right. Well, Jamie was a big um, Aliens fan, and that's kind of how he I think picked his name. So uh, if if anyone out there sees him on the forums um, as as uh, Gorman, then that is that is him. Um, but I think he also would answer to Jamie. So either way. Um, all right, guys. Well, we're going to take a brief break, and then we'll come back for uh, to finish up the show today. And uh, so, just hang right there, and we'll be right back. Okay, guys. Well, that was it. That was our first segment of Battle Brothers. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you did enjoy it, please feel free to leave us uh, some comments on iTunes. Um, being that we're a new podcast, we really don't have uh, a lot of feedback about the show yet. So we don't really know exactly how many people are listening or whether you guys really like what we're putting out there. Um, and we want to try to be interactive with our audience. So uh, if you like us, please re- leave us a review in iTunes. Um, and uh, if you don't like us, please feel free to leave some comments about what you would like to hear on the show and what you'd like to know about. Um, we like to think of ourselves as an offbeat podcast about 40K, um, although our focus is on the wargaming uh, you know, industry and hobby. We don't focus on competitive wargaming. We like to focus on things that are more community-driven and hobby-driven. Um, and because uh, War Council is a presentation of white metal games, we like to focus on sort of that aspect of the hobby and watching a, a small studio like White Metal Games get off the ground and how it struggles and hopefully perseveres over time. And hopefully as it grows, you'll be able to share in the excitement of what we're doing here. Uh, as well as uh, help to shape it. If you commission models through us, then we'll be able to talk 
uh, on the podcast about your particular projects and what you're excited about. And, you know, we just want to be involved. We like, we like the community and we're excited to see it grow. Um, but for that to happen, we need to uh, hear from you. So please feel free to leave us a review in iTunes or, or just send us an email and let us know what you like or feel free to leave some comments on Facebook. But uh, above all else, just uh, you know, leave us some, some feedback. Let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and what you'd like to hear in the future. Uh, you can email your comments to uh, info at whitemetalgames.com or warcouncil at whitemetalgames.com. And as always, put your minis where your mouth is.